Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, for SB Live Sports Conversations with experts throughout sports. Today's guest, somebody I had a chance to get to know a few years back when he spent some time in Spokane working with the Gonzaga University basketball program. We also have many mutual friends, and I have never heard anybody say a negative word about this man. Assistant coach of the Baylor Bears, John Jacobs. John, thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate you doing this, and uh, I look forward to hanging out a little bit. Absolutely. Well, you're a coach who's had the tremendous opportunity to be involved with what a lot of people think are the best two programs in college at this moment in time. You were at Gonzaga as a director of basketball operations, working closely with Coach Few, and now you've been in the last few years an assistant coach under Scott Drew at Baylor. Draw a couple similarities between those two programs because they're they're different, yet they're very similar with their leadership, I imagine, from the outside looking in. Yeah, I mean, you do national TV, you know, played in the NBA. I think you've got a larger landscape and relationships through college basketball. And you got a lot of personal experience with Mark, but I think you know enough about college basketball to know that Scott and Mark have more in common than people realize. And I think they both took over the programs under different circumstances. You know, Mark became a head coach after Gonzaga made their first kind of legendary run to the Elite Eight. And Scott took over after there was a murder on campus at Baylor and really walked into a a mess, frankly. In the first four or five years, we're just getting out of that. And then he was able to build from there. But they both deserve credit as coaches. I think they're both Hall of Fame coaches, but I don't know that people understand how good they are at building. And they've built more than a basketball team. They built a program. And then I think the cool thing about the two of them in the last three to four or five years specifically, and I bet you would say this because just your relationship with Mark and then doing all the Zag games locally, it's more than a program. It's almost like a culture. And there's this unique skill set as a coach. It's one to be great at X's and O's, but two, you've got to be able to communicate a vision um, to establish what it is you want in your program as a whole. And then your assistants need to reflect that. But then nowadays, you've got to brand yourself. And, you know, for two guys that like to be with their families and know where the back door is and kind of sneak out and go fishing, and uh, they're really, really good at establishing a brand. And if if you watch ESPN, the lead story is Gonzaga. I mean, my wife and I still watch every Zag game. There's never a game you're on TV that I don't see announced. And uh, even if it's online, we'll, we'll go to the WCC online streaming. Like, it's important to us. But when you turn on ESPN, she comments all the time, Gonzaga's got maybe the best brand in college basketball right now. And I just think both Scott and Mark 
are unbelievable at being X's and O's program to now branding. And it's great to have two guys like them in the lead of college basketball. They're what we need. Um, there's a lot of transition in our sport right now. And we need voices that care enough to stay and and not rent college basketball to get what they want out of it, but to build it. And uh, they both have chosen to build. And I hope that they take the next 10 years to help keep our sport safe in a sense, if that makes sense to you. Absolutely. I know faith is important to you. You spent some time uh, being a coach and on staff with Athletes in Action. And I want to ask you about that later. But I think one of the things that allows Mark Few and Scott Drew to have success as head coaches is their faith. It, it keeps them grounded. It, it keeps them focused on, on maybe things that wouldn't frustrate a normal coach. How important has that been for you to be around programs that value faith the way that you do? Yeah, I think I've been really lucky in that regard. I mean, some of it, somebody would call it luck. We, you and I might call it grace. And uh, you just kind of find yourself in in places that fit who you are. And I would I would include Athletes in Action and Gonzaga and Baylor because Athletes in Action kind of gave me a framework for leadership and how to include faith in my coaching. But one of the kind of understated part of Mark and Scott's ability to lead their programs, in my opinion, is their faith. And to me, there's no mistake that Mark watched Norm, his dad, a pastor, stand still in Oregon and build that church and be faithful to that group of people in that town for such a long time. And then you see Scott's dad, Homer, chose to coach from a faith base and he chose to stay at Valpo when he got there. And he spent how many, two decades there building Valpo into something incredibly consistent. He's in the Hall of Fame. And so they've both been modeled what it looks like to stay in one place and thrive. And that's really difficult because when you stay in one place, it, it's no longer, are you a coach? It's, can you work through your problems? Can you forgive people? Can you move on to the next thing? When pressure comes, are you able to handle it with class? Because if you don't handle it with class, you're not choosing to just hop ship to another program and run away from your problems. You have to face your problems for 20 straight years. And I think their faith has caused them to be able to face good and bad where they're at um, for two decades. And coaches often think that sometimes it's green around the other side of the fence or just they just think they're doing a bad job and they need to outrun the bad situation they're currently in. And I think both of both Mark and Scott have used their faith to, to do the opposite. And when you get to work for two coaches that are almost unfireable in our business, I mean, you know how hard that is to find. I mean, our business is four years and you're done. And, you know, Coach K went 500 his first three years. He probably would have been fired if he started coaching right now. But because they're in this unfireable place, if you're me and you get to work for them, there's this freedom that they allow you to be yourself. And when I'm being myself, I'm, I'm coaching young men to be the best people they can be, not just the best basketball player. But I'm doing that with my faith included. And um, the fact that I've been able to work with two Hall of Famers that have allowed me to be me um, is something that I'll never be able to repay. I'm super thankful to both of them. A tremendous explanation of that, and, and I value that immensely. Something that you just mentioned struck me pretty closely was you talk about most coaches fired every four years or so. That's one reason I didn't 
go down the coaching path was the, the, yeah. the movement aspect. I had that as a player. I didn't want to continue doing that as a, as a coach with my family. Um, but you've been solid at a couple different spots in your career. But when you were at Gonzaga, you were director of basketball operations. That's a title that unless you're in college basketball on the inside, most people don't know exactly what that role entails. Can you share with us the exact difference between a, a director of ops, many people call it a dobo, versus an assistant coach? Yeah, for me, it was interesting to come into Gonzaga as the dobo because one, you're not allowed to do on-court coaching. Two, I could do analytics and scouting and do scouts for Mark, but I couldn't present them on the floor. And I was also coming in, and I overlapped with Jerry Krause. You know Jerry, who's a Hall of Famer and has sold more books than anybody on the subject of basketball. And uh, Just a great, great man with a great, great legacy in our profession. And he was one of the first guys to do analytics. So, you know, you're crossing your analytics with his, and you're also doing travel. You're, you're making sure that planes are on time, that the guys are fed. And um, there's just a whole practical side to basketball that people don't realize. And when you're in that role, you got to take care of all the practical things, practice times on the road. We're scrimmaging Baylor in, in Utah. Uh, you got to call Dennis Lindsay and the jazz and make sure you can get their practice facility. There's just an element where you're there to serve and, and make sure that the fortune 500 company that also happens to be a basketball team is operating at a high level. And, um, you know, it's not something that I saw myself doing. And it's not something, you know, I coached professionally overseas prior to coming to Baylor the first time and then being at Gonzaga. But my wife and I actually chose culture and fit over um, anything. And Gonzaga, to me, is one of the best cultures in, in the country. And to be around them, the fact that they even hired me at all in some ways is a miracle. You know this. I mean, the Zags, it's pretty special. All those guys move back hometown. And I mean, there's 30 of you guys, Dan. And that that have come back to support the program and raise their families there. So just that we were included in that at all. I, I didn't care what they really asked of me. I was willing to serve. And the great thing about Mark and Tommy, especially, is they they let basketball be part of what I do. And um, I'm really thankful that they did that. They could have just made me an ops guy, but instead they 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 allowed basketball to be included. So even though it was only three years, it was one of the best three year stretches of my career. And I'm super thankful for it. And at the end of the day, the best part of my time at Gonzaga is still the players and, you know, going to the final four and being with those guys on the road, taking them out to eat, being in our life every day. To me, being with the players is, is number one. And you get to do that in whatever role you're in, but that's what an ops guy is. And that's what I feel like I brought to the table during my three years at Gonzaga. Well, a lot of people don't understand the relationship building aspect that assistant coaches and director of ops, maybe trainers, grad assistants have with the players, uh, helping them on the day-to-day. -day. They, they typically see that head coach, um, yeah. and don't understand the things that go into making the program the program. Tell us a little bit about your time at Athletes in Action. It's a group that, if people aren't aware of it, it's a faith-based, Christ-centered um, ministry that uses sports, and in particular for us, basketball to be able to share our faith. I had a chance in college. I, I took a, a tour of Europe. We went to Poland and Croatia. The coaches and the director of that program are guys that I still stay in touch with. A number of the players on that team I still stay in touch with. But you were 
with Athletes in Action for an extended amount of time. Share us a little bit more about AIA, its values, and, and what made them such a great fit for you. Yeah, I think faith is getting to the point in our in our culture where it's a bad thing. And maybe you feel like this also. It's getting to the point where you can't even talk about what you believe in anymore. Everybody's so staunch on their side of every subject and social media has become so strong that everybody just is, there's a tension around it. And the greatest thing that Athletes in Action gave me is I feel like my faith, my Christianity, my belief in God, it's, it's a message of acceptance that no matter who you are, God will accept you because of what his son did. And that message of acceptance has somehow been twisted into this message of judgment. And it's really hard for young players. It's really hard for guys that go overseas and play professionally full-time. You're the only one with your faith. And there's this odd thing about being a basketball player where you spend a lot more time alone than people realize. And I think, you know what it's like, whether you're in the NBA or you're overseas, there's just, there's long periods of loneliness and some guys can handle that. And some guys can't handle that. And there's a mental health piece that's more important basketball than ever. And not everyone's going to use faith to address that mental health piece. And I don't think they necessarily align perfectly, but I think they're both more important than ever for our athletes. And I think AIA, not just taught me how to use that in my own life, but how to communicate it well. And most of coaching is communication. And um, I got to travel the world. I got to coach in six or six, on six different continents. I mean, I got to coach against high-level pros and low-level college and Division One athletes. The, the level of almost didn't matter. They just gave me a framework for life and faith and the ability to explain what it is that I believe and then how to communicate that to players. And I'll, I'll just never be able to repay them. I know you spend a shorter time with them, but I bet you look back at the time and you think even in the four weeks that you spent with them, they give you a framework how to explain what it is that's important to you. And uh, I've, I'm really thankful to have that framework in my coaching career. Talk about Baylor now coming off a national title game. And I'll, we'll, we'll get into the, the Gonzaga-Baylor uh, matchup in a minute. But you guys have won the title. How has that changed, uh, if it has at all, the perception of Baylor on the recruiting uh, trail and allowed you guys maybe to recruit uh, different players? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm cool enough to sit next to Mark Few and Ryan Michelson and Stephen Gentry and uh, Roger Powell now. You know, when I'm at a game recruiting a guy, I know they're going to be there because we're now recruiting against Gonzaga and whoever else you put in that category, whether it's Duke or Kentucky, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, um, you get invited into things, you get phone calls now. And I think one thing that's just really important is taking second place on a five-star kid is still taking second place. And when you feel cool about this new process that you think you're, you're part of, it, it can often be a lie. And the great thing about how Mark built Gonzaga, and you were at the center of that, Dan, and how we kind of built this national championship team is we always believe you've got to have a bunch of different avenues in which you build your team. So transfers, you were a huge key transfer for Gonzaga. I mean, let's be honest. At a perfect time, you came to the picture. Then you got to have three, four, and five-star kids that fit your culture. 
Jalen Suggs is a five-star kid, but he's got to fit the culture. If he doesn't fit the culture of Joel Ayayi and Corey Kispert, then Jalen does more damage than he does good. You got to be able to hit on it, Juco. And then the last three years, we've gotten an international big into our program once each each every year. And Gonzaga has been doing that forever. I mean, since Roney and JP. So, so there's four or five avenues. And the thing you got to do more than ever is just believe that what Mark and Scott did early on is still going to work now. You got to balance your ages. You can't get too young. You got to balance your point guards. You probably need two. Uh, if you look at four of the 10 best point guards in the country, they played in the national championship game. When we went to the championship against North Carolina, we had Perkins and Nigel. I think back in your day, there was even two point guard systems. Mm-hmm. So if you shortchange yourself on guards, you don't have enough point guards, you get too young, and you start shutting doors because you become infatuated with five-star kids, then you're not going to balance your program. And the key is to make sure your program is a reflection of the head coach and the culture that they want. It's not to win recruiting battles. You can win a recruiting battle and actually hurt your team. And so certainly it's cool to get some phone calls. It's, you know, we got the number two player in the country in Keontae George. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, he's a Baylor kid. That's what matters. He's a Baylor kid. And so research is more important than ever. And not changing who you are is more important than ever. Tremendous information or, or just insight there. I love balancing ages, balancing positions. Uh, it, it's got to be the right kid because I, I think that there's been plenty of programs that have made a jump through a, a small kind of stretch of success and then had to take backward steps because they didn't, they didn't stay true to their culture. They didn't stay true to, to the guys, the type of guys that built the program. Give me a yeah, little you guys, you, you got the vets all around Spokane. It's like there's a constant test, you know, yeah. you sneak into practice. Most speaks sneaks into practice. You got these guys sneaking into practice and our, the players had to shake your guys' hands. And whether it be at team camp or when someone comes on a visit or during a practice, there's this built-in accountability to what it means to be a Zag. And Corey Kispert's a Zag, man. It yeah. doesn't matter if you've got three stars or five stars. It don't matter. But if they get far away from what you built, Dan, then they're missing the point. And that's what Mark's so great at. He'll just call the staff back to what really matters. And yeah. uh, being cool doesn't matter. Winning and guarding your culture matters. Well, I think you guys had one of the best cultures in all of college basketball that I saw a season ago. And it was reflective, obviously, with a national title. Unfortunately, you got you beat my Zags. The, the matchup early in the season didn't happen either. But when I looked at your backcourt in particular, and I know you had other good pieces and parts that, that were vital to your importance and your success, but Donovan Mitchell, uh, Jared Butler, Macy Teague, and then Flagler in the backcourt, that was as good a backcourt as I've seen in quite some time because they did they had different strengths. They worked together. How did you blend and mesh four really good guards together as a staff? Yeah, one, I think Scott deserves some credit. And uh, when you're the head coach and you got four guys all playing similar positions, um, there's something about bearing the weight of that as a head coach. you got to deal with the families and the expectations. And can we get all the guys to where they want to be when they're done with their time at Baylor? And the emotional weight of carrying that, I think Scott was so classy and uh, special through. 
And then I think the players deserve the most credit. Uh, you know, Rem was here, Rem Bakamis, Wakana Gonzaga, friend of yours. He worked for you for a little bit. Now he's at Arizona with Tommy Lloyd, and I'm sure they're going to do a wonderful job together. But Rem and I, one of the reasons I wanted Rem to be here is because we spoke the same language, the Zag language. And part of that language is that at the end of the day, we don't matter very much. The players matter. And Maceo, Jared, and Davion decided to compromise. Maceo played point guard at Asheville before he transferred. Jared Butler was a point guard all four years in high school. He started varsity. He never did. He always played point guard. And Davion Mitchell only played point guard his whole life. So... And then Adam, for the first time in his life, came off the bench. So all four of them had to make a sacrifice. And you can't even get into how we use them offensively and defensively without talking about the way they chose to sacrifice first. And so if, if you've got a coach who kind of can sell the idea of people playing together and you get players who buy into the idea of sacrifice, then you can start getting into some real player development. And everybody's coming from a place of humility. and the sneaky thing about that, where we get really lucky, is college basketball has so much turnover. I got coach Jared, Davion, and Maceo for three years. And Gonzaga gets that privilege, but a lot of coaches don't get that privilege. How are you going to get three guards that good in your program every day for three years? And COVID caused us to have this additional year together. And one of the greatest joys of my coaching career is that you got to see some things through player development wise, ball screen wise, read wise, maturity wise, decision making that maybe they didn't understand their first year here, but the second and third year, they're able to, to get that. So their sacrifice and the length of time together. And then the last piece, I think you just got to know as a coach when to shut up. And at a certain point, they don't want to hear from you anymore. And that's where our GAs come into place. They're guys that just wake up at 5 a.m. and stay here till 1 a.m. And there's a cooler version of us that can speak into their lives. And that's where REM was a home run. When, when I needed to shut up, I knew that somebody was saying the same thing, just in a different way. And, and the kids were more likely to listen to him sometimes than they were the, the coaching staff. And most of that message is that we love you and we got a plan and you just got to stick to the plan. But all that worked together. And um, again, I think that's a culture thing, but we're lucky to have those four guys sacrifice for us. And at the end of the day, teams that sacrifice win. Yeah, they were tremendous players. And, and every time I had a chance to watch you guys last year, I came away impressed um, by their selflessness. You know, and, and you talked about Rem Bacchimus. And, and I do have a bone to pick because Rem worked with us and me in particular at SB Live, he was doing a <laughs> tremendous job for us. Yeah. And then he gives me a call one day and he says, hey, John Jacobs just called me at Baylor. He's talking to me about being a, being a grad assistant. Uh, his, high, his dad was a high school coach who actually oh, Hall played of Fame high school. High school. Yeah, and Hall he Fame said, high school coach. Billy B. Yeah, Billy B. And he said, you know, I think my heart's in coaching. And I said, Rem – you got to follow what, you, what what your heart's telling you. I said, I would love for you to stay working with us at SB Live, but take your time and make the decision. He made the decision to go with you. It looks like it's done a great job. But when you're looking at young up-and-coming coaches as a, maybe someone to hire as a grad assistant or a video coordinator, what do you look for to bring them into your staff? Yeah, I mean, Rem in particular uh, – came from Gonzaga and I'll just be honest that was enough and you look at 
I got a buddy in the NBA. He works in the front office. And I'm not going to say which front office, but you could probably go to their website and figure it out. But they've hired from Gonzaga, Baylor, and Villanova in the last two years. And you know this as good as anybody. You can take a really good player and put them in a really bad culture. And all they do is learn losing habits. And you can take a really good player and put them in a winning culture. And then all they do is learn winning habits. And you know what Rem was in the habit of doing, whether it was playing for his dad or being at Gonzaga? Winning. And you know what I'm saying? Like Coach Tang, who works with me here, he's an assistant. He's got associate head coach. He's been here since day one. And winners win, losers lose. And Fuey says it all the time. Like, you got to be really careful who you hire. And if they're in the habit of losing without knowing it, they're going to be the best guy in the world. But there's just like a, a tolerance for certain things. And you want to avoid that as much as you can. So one, you want to make sure they've won in the past and they know what that means. And if you're in a position where you have a choice, you should choose somebody who's won. But two, Gonzaga and Baylor doesn't struggle often with transfers. I mean, we're we're one of only six programs south of Kentucky to not have a transfer high major program in the last three years. So you got to keep your guys. So which GA, which video coordinator, which young guy can talk to players and not be cool with them, but talk to them in a way where they cause them to buy into staying and getting better and understanding that player development trumps moving and transferring. And a player's got to have a certain swag about them to talk to players, you know, that way. When you go from player to video coordinator, player to GA. And uh, I just saw Rem interact with, NBA players, lottery picks, first round picks, EuroLeague players in his time at Gonzaga. And I knew he was really good at communicating. And the guys we hire here, that's one of the main things we've got to learn is can they communicate to players? And then will they repeat our message and not their own? And you got to put a fence around your yard. Can't let people in that are going to say different things than you. And so if they're used to winning, they can communicate your message. And then they know a little bit about basketball you'd be all right. But really you want them to learn in the basketball part from you because uh, you want them teaching the guys what, what somebody like Mark or Scott wants, not creating some new system that isn't going to work in their own head. Um, but we try to keep it simple. And then the last thing is just who, you know, you know, that as well as anybody who, you know, matters in our profession. Some people got to move a lot. My wife and I had to move five times in seven years to get to where we've gotten. And um, that's part of the deal. People in your position have options. Dan, you're a great player. You can be in the NBA. You can be on TV. You can do stuff like this. But you only get those when you know people. So who you know really matters. But we're just looking for kids we can trust. That's the main thing. Can we trust them? You guys spent a number of uh, weeks in the bubble. And everything throughout last college basketball season was leading up to a Gonzaga-Baylor showdown. How difficult was it living in the bubble and kind of blocking out a lot of that noise because you had plenty of time for yourself and staff, players to look at social media, watch SportsCenter, uh, and just kind of soak in all the attention. How difficult was being in the bubble? Uh, I think it was great and difficult at the same time. Um, the difficult part is not being with your family. 
Um, I'm sure you experienced that in your time in the NBA and in your career, you know, those 14 day road trips and you're just not with your family. You just kind of know going into it, you're going to be gone for a month if you're lucky enough to win all your games. Because we went to the Big 12 tournament and decided we weren't going to go home in the middle. We just wanted to keep our bubble secure because we were so scared of that first te- test. We didn't want to get kicked out of the NCAA bubble. So when we left, it was for four weeks. And so the family piece is real for sure. But when you look back at it, you had to have a plan to take care of your players' mental health. But in some ways, it was the best time of my career when it came to coaching. You're with your players all day long. Like you're playing connect four with them. You're watching movies with them. We did a karaoke night. Uh, Scott and I are playing pickleball in a private room in a corner with Mark Few and Travis Knight and AJ Few. And like you set up this world and in some ways your best friends are next door. Gonzaga was in the ballroom next door to us for a little month. And you're seeing B Mike, you're seeing Tommy, you're spending time together. Alvin Brooks, his dad was in the bubble. He coached at University of Houston. We played them in the final four. He saw his dad every day. There was something pretty cool about the basketball culture being brought together in one place and being able to see each other every day. And when you combine that culture with seeing your guys all the time, I thought it was awesome. I mean, I'll be honest. It was one of the funnest times of my life. And winning doesn't hurt, but the people part was incredible for me. It was incredible. What was the most random movie request from one of the players then? Oh, I'll be honest. When they start watching movies, I leave. (laughs) (laughs) One, uh, I think we watched the second Eddie Murphy coming to America movie. And, you know, and then you just sneak upstairs and you start your Gonzaga scout. Like there is a point where you got to leave, but the bonding stuff um, is great. It was great. Well, John, it was great to reconnect. I I know we text occasionally throughout the year. Um, I'm looking forward to hopefully having a Baylor broadcast at some point this year and can see each other face to face. But um, I love Gonzaga, as you know, you love Gonzaga, but I've also come to really appreciate and love Baylor basketball and what they stand for and what they mean. So appreciate you joining the ISO. Yeah, thanks so much for having me and what you're doing, not just in your career, but post career to help the game. And If we end up uh, on the same game, just let me know. We'll take you out to dinner. Scott and I would love to hang out with you. So we'll talk to you soon. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.